This is for the nerds, this is for the brainiacs, this is what we deserve. Go ahead and play it back, know that I know. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another Solve for Why vlogcast. This is episode number 36. I'm coming remote. I'm out here getting in that final shred of the season. Christian also coming to you remote, uh, straight from a Tijuana prison, as I understand it. Is that, is that true, Poppy? I mean, these Tijuana prisons have to be pretty nice if this is how it looks. I mean, I'm not complaining. But, yep, I am in uh, the... The nice Mexican beaches, Playa del Carmen, and it's uh, it's beautiful out here. I'm not complaining whatsoever. Playing a little bit of scoop, having a good time, having some margaritas. I see it's you. A nice life, man. I'm not complaining. You know, a little kid from Dominican Republic, I moved to Jersey now, all of a sudden I'm over here. You know, right next to Cuba and shit. I'm not complaining at all. I gotta tell you, man, the the diligence that you're willing to put forth, you know. In the middle of a vacation to Mexico, beautiful white sands, big boobied women everywhere, and you're here, grinding it out on the Bro, broadcast. there was one time where you were like, people don't know this shit, but it was like, one time, they're like, bro, if I was, this was you talking to me, if I was Chen, I would travel with a camera and a, and a, and a and microphone and all this shit. So now, I brought the microphone, I got the camera, I got the ethernet, all this other shit. I got to apologize for the internet, and I got to apologize a little bit if you guys hear my chef in the background later. Wow, oh, chef, huh? Nice life you got living there, kid. All because of you, Bert. All because yeah. of you. You know, six years ago, you decided to coach me, and now look, we, look where we are, bro. Mm -hmm. We're speaking to the masses. Uh, you're in Utah. I'm in Mexico. You know, it's a great life, man. You have a <laughs> smile on your face. You look great, bro. You look great. I mean, I got to take an hour and a half plane ride, catch the, the final week of uh, snowboarding season, and I get to play 100, 200, sometimes 400, 800, 1600 every day for the next five days. Uh, I but can't really complain. There's some shady shit if I, in fucking Mexico. I'll say it. I don't want to be a snitch or whatever, but there's a fucking... There is um, a pharmacy. Every You walk 10 steps and there's another pharmacy. So I walked yeah. into some of these pharmacies, right? I was like, yo, what the fuck's going on with all these pharmacies, man? Because this shit ain't normal, right? So I walked in, and they were like, anything you want, no prescription. Bro, they had everything. They had fucking Cialis. They had steroids. They had fucking insulin. You could get anything. No prescription, just cheap as dirt. It's funny know. that there's like a black market for insulin because it's so heavily marked up here. That shit oh. ain't black market. This shit is open market in here. Well, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. But yeah, um, no, I was reading about it. There's a lot of people that come from, uh, you know, United States because they can't afford the insulin and come here and then, you know, sneak it back or whatever. Yeah, that no, makes a lot of sense. What, uh, what's been the highlight of the trip so far? Hmm. You know, all the margaritas out there is nice. There's a nice, uh, there's a nice uh, avenue, Fifth Ave. It's like super lit. Like, you got to be careful. Though. Ain't nobody wearing no masks out here. Everything's crazy though. But yeah, I'm excited. I mean, I'm here for another two weeks. So. How much have you been paying attention to what's going on in the Twitterverse, the poker community? 
you know, man, I always keep my eyes to the crowd. You know what I mean? To the to the to the floor. I gotta I gotta keep my finger in the game. You know, I can't run a podcast and not know that Brent Kenny's talking crazy. That fucking poker star is bringing all the people back. That fucking you know everybody's going bananas. Phil Hummings closed Apex. Like it's it's crazy. You know, like I gotta know. I gotta know what's up. You know, I don't I don't do a lot of the talking on Twitter. I leave that you know to you know the hierarchs. You know, like Matt Berkey and Matt Glance and all these people. You know, but. You know, I listen. I'm there. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta. You know, sometimes I'm on the beach and I'm just like, "What the fuck are these people talking about, man?" And then I put my phone away. Sure. Uh, let's dig into it a little bit. You're right that uh, Stars did make two big signings this week. Uh, we saw my man Sam Grafton, Squid Poker, OG of the online world. I think he actually might be older than me, which is saying something, as he's now a brand ambassador. We just don't really see that these days, especially from poker stars. Uh, he's being joined by um, Tonka, my man, uh, the streamer extraordinaire himself, Parker Talbot. Uh, he kind of made the announcement himself saying that he's going to go ahead and fire up streams again. We haven't really seen him out in the streaming streets too much, but uh, I'm pretty sure certain a lot of that had to do with the fact that he started playing a little bit higher stakes than he was previously. And I also think mm-hmm. that he might have been doing some content for Upswing. Um, so I imagine that conflicted, but he's back. He's back. Uh, we're seeing stars make some of these moves now to get back into, I don't know, would you say the good graces of the poker community? Is that, is that where this is leaning? Nah, I, I think this is just like a clear play where they're just, you know, GG signing all these people and they're just like, well, we're going to sign people. Um, maybe potentially their original plan of signing like soccer players and Kevin Hart and all this stuff didn't pan out. Uh, Kevin Hart's like, actually party poker. Okay, yeah, sorry. Uh, you know they had a bunch of people initially, like they were they were like not poker pros. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that didn't necessarily pan out uh, the way that they wanted. And they were like, okay, well, maybe we'll just go back to the poker pros, um, especially since GG's like making that play. Uh, it's basically like I, I view it like a game theory play. Like they're just not going to let Gigi make a play without them making their own play uh, in the same sphere. I don't, I don't think it's anything in terms of why squid? Why, why Parker? Uh, you know, I, I'm happy as squid. Um, one, because he's like a friend of the show. Uh, you know, squid's always been kind of really pro uh, us pretty much. Uh, and I think, I don't know, man, these like, it seems like Squid is like pretty popular in Europe. Uh, I, I, you know, it, it's hard to say because I, you know, I'm American slash Dominican, but it, you know, he's pretty popular in Europe. I'm wondering if he's going to stream at all. Uh, I am a big fan of his videos. You know that he puts out like his training videos are really good. They're very concise. He's pretty funny, uh, and I'm not necessarily sure why Squid. Uh, the Tonka play is obvious, right? It's he's a he's a streamer. He's popular. He has like his own catchphrase, like never lucky or, or something like that. He's probably pretty lucky, fucking MTT pros. But, you know, he has all this all this stuff going. So I could see the Tonka play. I like the squid play, just straight up like rec- name recognition, longevity, making a play for online Apex. Like he's he's in the mix and I, I like the play. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to see what they have in store. Like, is are they bringing back like an onslaught of pros because their roster initially was super long, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that 
we may see him fall into the pads role that we see over at Party Poker, where mm-hmm. he kind of becomes the ambassador for the clientele of Party or of Poker Stars, rather. Um, he's also been doing a lot of commentary for them. Uh, you know, he works very closely with. Uh, I would imagine the EPT uh, crew as well. I think that that is still stars branded, but I could be mistaken about that. Um, but in any event, I think that given his place in the community, um, given the fact that, you know, the younger generation isn't necessarily going to know who he is, but Damn, am uh, I that old? Dude, like there's crazy. Like squid has like been around forever. He's just like a name. Like, yeah, go ahead, for sure. but like, I guess I'm speaking more about Americans, which don't really matter to their clientele all that much. Um, right. Like, Young twenty-one-year-old Americans aren't going to have any idea who Sam right. Rafton is. Right, 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 um, sure. But yeah, you're right. I, I think that he brings a lot of uh, credibility to the brand. Um, I would be very curious to pick his brain about like what went into this decision, more so like off the record than on, because I don't think that anybody could really be super transparent about these sort of dealings, uh, mm-hmm. especially with a company that has kind of done the community wrong in certain ways uh, throughout the past few years. Uh, but yeah, I totally agree with the Tonka play. I think that he comes with a baked-in audience. Uh, I think he's very good at streaming. He's very engaging and entertaining. He plays off of that Lex and Spraggy uh, kind of counterpart that we've seen. Is is this like, or are we coming back? Like, is this uh, like the reemergence of just like sponsored pros? We're seeing like ACR fire up a bunch of sponsored pros. We're seeing GG come with the sponsored pros. We're seeing now PokerStars firing up the sponsored pros. Is there some sort of resurgence? I think the one thing that we you, haven't you know discussed. you have your own like talent agency or something you know like you're in the mix like you're you know you're you're going to Texas you know promoting like big tournaments now you probably got the patch going above the felt you know I wasn't gonna give him the shout out Tom but there you go you got the shout out you know we still got beef though but it's all good but uh, this the reemergence of the sponsor pro Berkey you did it bro you made it. Yo, Tom Tom took care of me man that's that's a it's a nice check for those three days. Um, yeah, I think the one thing that we're not really discussing here is the fact that, uh, these companies are still making plays to get into America, right? Yeah. So we already know that stars is in New Jersey, uh, and Pennsylvania. I think that they are very close to launching in Nevada as well. And they may have already launched in Michigan. Yeah. Um, you know, as this wire act continues to go through the upper courts, and we start to see there being a greater li- likelihood of uh, at least intrastate gambling. I think Stars is going to really try to make a play, and they have a leg up over GG, who doesn't currently have any position in the states. Right. Uh, so I imagine a lot of this coincides with that. Right. It, it's a branding play to become a more global market. Yeah, I'm with it. I I, I think it's it's interesting. I don't know what the ACR play is. Um, in terms of like their sponsored pros and and moving like they're just you know. very clearly targeting the American market, right? Yeah, yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah. they're they're just trying to have a stranglehold on semi legal poker in America. Yeah. Okay. So and I mean, they get they get like no competition from Global or uh, Ignition or any of the other smaller sites that uh, seemingly don't really want to put up a fight. I'm curious to see how it pans out, man. I'm curious to see how it pans out. I mean, I think it's good for poker overall, right? Like bringing back sponsorships uh, is nice. You know, it, it's it's one of those things that was missing for so many years. Is it, I think it's one of the things that a lot of pros aspire to. Mm-hmm. You know, like when a lot of players got into it, you know, early 2000s or whatever, like 
that was the goal, right? To be a red pro on full tilt, uh, you know, to have the the, the shield patch of, of stars on you, you know? I'm sure you were out there, you know, with the full tilt patch. I've seen it. I've seen it before. Um, yeah, they paid me $40,000 to wear that patch with on day seven. I think, I, dude, I, I, I see it kind of like the, that rivalry of the full tilt stars is like beginning, like GG's With taking GG. that like full tilt role of like, you know, they're a little bit shady, you know, they really don't really, you know, they do some things a little bit, you know, out of line, you know, and maybe you can play from America. We don't know, you know, we look the other way. Maybe we ban you, maybe we don't, you know, like whatever, you know, don't win too much, buddy. Don't win. It's like the fucking mafia up in there, bro. Like, what's no, up? That's true. It's like private underground uh, games. But, you know, and then stars, you know, little by little, it just seems like they're they're kind of like they're kind of the good guys. I don't really I don't know. It's weird. It's really weird. They spent so many years being the bad guys and now they're like, what about this, you know, little good guy role? You know, let them GG take all the fucking negative shit. Uh and, and classic heel turn if you're a wrestler. It's working. It's working. You know, I'm here in fucking Mexico. I'm gonna fire up a little bit of scoop, you know, maybe get a little scoop title under my belt. I don't know, but I'm not playing no GG, I'll tell you that. No, you know, whatever. I'm rooting for you. Uh speaking of GG and all things related, although I guess this isn't directly related because I'm not really sure what the relationship is any longer, but we saw Bryn Kenny out in the streets in the in the twitter verse really laying yeah. down the gauntlet uh he took some shots at the goat himself mr helmuth um but it didn't end there that was actually kind of just the tip of the iceberg helmuth never even really responded this kind of just like fell by the wayside but what did ultimately come of it was him taking a bunch of shots at gelfond uh mm-hmm. he deleted this tweet that that phil replied to but basically it was something to the effect of um you know, why would I play him on his own site? Kind of insinuating that uh, Phil is not on the up and up, which is obviously insane when we're talking about the poker Buddha himself. Um, and then the the back and forth continued where, uh, you know, he also said he didn't want to play Phil in his game. So then Phil basically said, like, what game would you play me in? I'll play you in eight game. Like, it doesn't really matter to me. And Brim was like, 204 is way too small for me. We need to play 2K, 4K, or else I'm not interested. And, you know, basically it was a lot of hot air and much to do about nothing, um, which eventually settled down with uh, Bryn returning to Helmuth and just basically saying, like, yo, look, if this guy wants to keep calling himself the best, I'm willing to do a $1 million uh, heads-up match where I donate 100% of the winnings to charity, 10K to 100 different places that I feel are helping the world, bang, bang. Yeah. what what do you think about this whole aspect of propping yourself up by tearing other people in the community down? Well, I mean, this has been the classic play, right? Like it started with Doug Polk for so many years and now it's just like, it, it's the classic, right? Like, you know, they, they're trying to all be like 50 Cent. You remember 50 Cent? Like how he became famous? It was like, you know, he came with, you know, he took shots at Pun, he took shots at all these people, then he took shots at Jaw, and like, you know, eventually just became like, Top tier, but look, I don't know Brent Kinney. I'm just gonna talk off like shoot from the hip, right? That's that's the phrase. Uh, basically, he was in a in a conversation back and forth with Doug Polk earlier, and he was like, "Oh, I don't even have ten million dollars, right?" Mm-hmm. He's the number one player in the world, number one caches in the world, right? Most all time money list number one, right? Doesn't have ten mil to his name. Probably feels a little bit like 
He doesn't get the cred that he deserved, doesn't have the money that he thinks he deserves. Mm-hmm. And he's seeing all these people back and forth talking about goat this, goat that. And he's like, why nobody mentions my name? I have all the, I have all the earnings. So he fires a shot at Helmuth, knowing that he's like a he's he's a huge favorite. Like let's 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 call it what it is. Like Helmuth is not a heads up player. Like this is all just a a ploy for getting Rex to watch, right? Like this is what yeah. it is. Yeah, it's a dog and pony show. Yeah, right. It's a show. It's it's a it's a it's a fucking game show. Like oh, let's see who wins, and maybe we make it up to a million dollar heads up match. Like it's really that's what it is, and it's fun. And I watched it. I tuned in, and we all fucking critique. And, and say, like, how you sucks, and Daniel doesn't know how to play short stack poker, and, and whatever, you know? Okay, cool. Uh, it seems to me, look, I don't know, but it just feels to me as if, like, Brent's ego was shot, that nobody's talking to, nobody's talking about him being the GOAT. And he said, I'm going to play, I'll play you. Then Galfon comes in, a true fucking GOAT that everyone's, like, saying, like, yo, this guy really is, like, who we, who we think who we think he is. And says, why are you bullying my man Helmuth? And steps in. I kind of felt like it was a little bit fucked up because obviously Bryn's not going to play him in PLO, which is, I think, what Bryn said. Like, I'm not going to play you in your game. And then, but Goffman wasn't backing down and said, what game you want to play me in? And that's when things got a little bit spiced. So what do I think about the whole thing? I think, you know, Bryn's ego's hurt. And he made a ploy for saying, like, listen, you guys are not mentioning my name. And instead of saying, you guys should mention my name, he said, I'll play for a million. And then when Galfon said, all right, fuck it, stop talking shit about fucking players you know you can beat, you should punch up. Then Brent kind of, like, backed down a little bit because it's Galfon. Yeah, I think we're in a weird a weird time in the, in the space, in the community. Um, you know, there's a changing of hands taking place where uh, those of us who are around pre-Black Friday – are kind of aging out ever so slightly. Um, and, you know, the, the, the previous measuring stick was just money, right? It was like, who's wealthy through playing poker? Yeah. Those people are very good. We consider them to be the best to have played this game. But that means nothing now. Uh, most people in this space that are playing reasonably high stakes, you know, 10, 20 plus or 20, 40 plus, whatever, are relatively wealthy, right? Yeah. So... You know, it's one of those things where it's like it's very difficult to achieve a hundred million dollars through playing poker. Um, but it's not all that challenging to get to like four or five. And there's just a ton, especially from my era, because we had that decade of just free money flowing mm-hmm. where we could just accumulate. And so, you know, it's like to be worth a couple million, five million, even ten million, it's like it, it doesn't really mean that much to be all time moneyless leader. It doesn't really mean that much when you're pieced out, when you're selling and all this other stuff. It's like, yeah, it's a, a huge achievement and we can recognize it for what it is, but it's very fast that you're forgotten. Right. Uh, I think somebody in, in the thread kind of mentioned that Bryn Kenny is not a household name and he kind of like clapped back at like, you know, that's, that's the big problem here. And it, it's probably true. Uh, and I think like, you know, you can look at Bonomo as the antithesis of Kenny where it's like, you could say a lot of the same thing where he's probably not a household name to the, the casual fan, right. but to the diehards, obviously everybody knows who he is and he seems just fine with that. He doesn't seem to care. You know, he's just quietly grinding, making his money. Same thing with a guy like Ike. Uh, you know, they just, they're not in it for the, for the notoriety or for the, for the shine. Right. Um, 
But I don't think that it's true of everybody. Status matters to some people. Clout matters to some people. Um, your name matters in a big way. And I think for a lot of people, they want to be respected and uh, feel like they're getting their just dues. And especially a guy like Bryn who beats to his own drum and doesn't necessarily play according to the book. I can relate to this. Uh, he probably feels a little bit you know, kind of shit on where there's this polarizing view of him where it's like some people probably think that he's just figured shit out that other people haven't and is way ahead of the curve. And other people probably just think that like he's a byproduct of variance and uh, couldn't really sustain his, his spot if he had to challenge it. Um, the reason I bring all this up is because I can't help but feel that my particular generation is desperately trying to remind everybody that we matter. Uh, and I, I probably am guilty of this too. I don't right? know, just... man. Like, it's so hard for your, like, your generation has so many household names that, like, the generation of mine moving forward just doesn't have. Like, you still have Antonio, Daniel, Phil Galfon, Tom Dewan, Phil Ivy. Like, these names are never going anywhere. And the next generation is, like, clawing to get that kind of buzz around their name. Yeah, that part's true. Um, and I think what you're saying is, is valid in the sense that it's turning over so fast, right? The community is changing so rapidly and, uh, people are exiting at the top so much more than they used to, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, in the past, there was just a ton of staying power if you were good, but now it's like, they're getting it. It's like a smash and grab, right? They come yeah. in, they take three or four years, make, uh, seven, maybe eight figures. And then they get the fuck out and they spread out their wealth elsewhere in investments. Uh, they move on to business. They, they do whatever they got to do. Uh, and, and they kind of, you know, you, you never really make it to the household name status. So I do agree with you in the sense that the next generation, that youngest generation, the 21 to 28 year olds, uh, you may not see another Galfon come out of that. You may not see because those guys are lifers in some degree. Right. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. we just might not see that any longer. But with that, consistent turnover and uh constant i guess like attempting uh, like, like the constant attempt to to spring up the ladder as fast as you can and step on the guy below you with that comes a very large level of disrespect to the ones that have hung around and i think that like the label of dinosaur or old-timey uh, regs like old-timey old reg yeah I, I think that that i think it's a thing you know i think uh I think it's very difficult to be on the come up and also respect the generation prior to who's done it. And I think like the pushback from that is the guys who are super established that aren't necessarily getting the shine are kind of like shrugging their shoulders saying like, what the fuck do I have to do? Longevity though. Like longevity is a real thing. Like with time comes your recognition. Like it doesn't either. There's the thing like either you're Phil, Fedor Holtz who wins literally every event and propels himself to name like massive name, right? Mm -hmm. Or you just got to stick around long enough and win tournaments because that's the only way. Or just be like playing massive nosebleed cash games like yeah. like G-Man and have a strategy that's not forgettable, right? Because if you're playing if you're playing a strategy that's like rather forgettable, you just like mix in with whatever other 30-year-old kid that's like playing well, you know? Yeah. I don't know, man. Like the disrespect, I see it. I don't know. I don't feel it as much as you do because you're you're a bigger name than I am. But I wish one of these fucking twenty one year old kids would sit down. 
<laughs> well, I guess that's a, a good cue. So speaking of 21-year-old kids, uh, this most previous season of Poker Out Loud that we filmed for Salt for YTV uh, was me versus the Young Bucks, the old-timey reg versus the young, shining stars of this next generation. And over the next few weeks, we're going to highlight their profiles a little bit, get to know them a little bit better. We had landed on last week, big announcement with him signing on to Salt for Y. Really excited for him to put out content. Uh, we do have his mastermind coming up this Saturday, which will be on monotone boards. If you would like to attend that, obviously just get a membership to Salt for Y TV. Uh, you will be emailed a link to attend the Zoom webinar. Um, but yeah, on top of that, you know, the, the lineup was, it was, it was young, it was vibrant, it was very competitive. Uh, we had Landon, we have Jeremiah Williams, who's going to be on to join us in a couple of weeks, uh, Lin G, and then today's guest, Chris Convalinka, who you've probably seen, if you've been following us for a while, uh, in previous episodes of Poker Out Loud, he did the student edition. Uh, I would say that he's one of our crowning achievements as far as people have come through our school of thought. Um, you know, he's done a pretty great job of rising the ranks, but most notably for those of you who have a solve for Y TV subscription or have signed up for the free site, we just put out a whiteboard curriculum where, uh, we're basically going through introductory level stuff, uh, leading into higher level stuff. And we needed a voice. We needed somebody to hold it down, hit us with those nice baritones, and uh, guide us through this course. And we actually chose Chris, who has probably one of the most, uh, I guess, soothing voices of, of any, anyone that I've come in contact with. Easy to learn, yet impossible to master. No Limit Hold'em to this day remains the game of choice among both casual gamblers and seasoned professionals. So what allows for so many to be seduced by the sweet siren song of Texas Hold'em. That was Chris Convalinka, our guest today. Welcome to the studio, young man. You're actually in my fucking seat today. <laughs> Damn right. How the times change. <laughs> uh, listen, I know you had a lot planned today, Matthew, Chen, uh, mm -hmm. but yeah. really, I'm just here to announce that I am challenging Bill Gates to 50,000, <laughs> 100,000 heads-up six-card PLO. I will be mm. paying Bill... A hundred big blinds per hundred hands. Well, not me, but the investors that I will acquire soon. Sure. To play this challenge. I plan on spending the next 10 years in the basement of the loft studying in preparation. I'm behind this 100%. I would like to have 1% of the action, if at all possible. I will be playing uh, for point zero 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 three percent of myself, and I can't think of a better use of my time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Some indirect shots fired at the young man, Landon Tice, who, uh, as you all How know... I feel the rivalry brewing, bro. I feel the rivalry. I you love, love it. this shit, Chin. You, you, you love Let's it. Go. No, no, no. You just got poking the, the coals. Got the... Poking the coals. Yeah. Um, all he wants to be is the Vince McMahon of poker. Nah, so what do you like... mean? I didn't start this. I came here super calm. He came in throwing super shots. He's like, this is my fucking chair. Landon, you're never sitting here again. You actually never have sat on this side of the table. I, I and... honestly think we're competing in completely different realms. 
I don't. Yeah, think yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I actually it's, don't think there's yeah any sort of for sure. No, it's it's very true. I I tell him that there is free money to pick up at the Bellagio if he just wanders his way down yeah, to the twenty forty table. Chris, from, you're, you're telling Landon from Chris. <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, I'm just like you know, if you just go play ten twenty forty, like there's just literal free money there waiting for you, and he's like, ah, oh, I have to Uber. It's like, yeah, you got Uber. It's like, uh, I think there's a fifty cent dollar game running online that I can grind out a higher win rate at. <laughs> but anyway, let's talk. Let's talk about this uh, this whiteboard course. Soothing. Yeah, yeah. You uh, you have a real voice for radio, Chris. I don't know if anybody's ever told you that. Thanks, Burke. It's too bad it's a uh, completely outdated formatter. I'd be rich. I gotta tell you, man. Uh, I commiserate. I if. <laughs> If there's one thing that women compliment me on, it's my voice. And I, I got to tell you, it doesn't get you very far. Really... <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not on the phone all that often trying to woo the women. So you'd much rather have face equity. They pay me the, two uh... bucks a minute. I don't know what you're doing wrong. Oh, that's, that's a good gig, man. That is... Yeah, they... how do you think I'm playing 2040? <laughs> Imagine if we, take it, if, we, uh, if we take the OnlyFans model backwards to the phone sex model. So now instead of, you know, putting out sexy videos or whatever, it's just you doing ASMR into a ASMR. mic. ASMR. That's still pretty popular, I think, ASMR. Yeah, if you want a YouTube People channel. People sticks that... together and slapping <laughs> meat around and stuff. Breathing, panting into a mic. Yeah, right. yeah I think that's about right. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> we're, we're, we're jumping ahead a little bit, but uh, I do think it's worth mentioning. Uh, everybody should 100% get to know you through the quick studies. Uh, tell me a little bit about what the process was for voiceover and if you had any experience doing that prior. Uh, I have had little to no experience doing voiceover, but I've always liked uh, theatrical stuff, like acting and, and improv. And I've had a bunch of fun fucking around on Instagram for the past couple of years. Uh, that's become sort of like my my identity. Everybody takes themselves so fucking seriously, man. I'm wa- I mean, I'm watching you guys introduce the show with this like Twitter drama yeah. It's like who fucking cares, man? What an what an incestuous, like insidious environment. I feel like it's just the rich, entitled regs wanting to stay relevant, and then like the broke, resentful, bitter degenerates. And it's just like Oh, I think I, I don't think the broke, bitter degenerates even get involved. I just think it's really uh yeah, I just think it's yeah. that upper echelon constantly battling with each other. Yeah, but it's not unique to um, poker. You know, you see this in every industry. Social media just sure. engineers like mob mentality, rewards yeah, you for a, finding dirt on people. Yeah, it's a super competitive industry, which is obviously uh, worth noting. But then secondarily, I think that if we took the who cares approach, then that's exactly how the public would treat it. You know, it's like if if you just say it's much to do about nothing and everybody's being childish or, or whatever the case may be, that may be true. But then why the fuck are people watching, right? Like why, what incentive would they have to uh, play or to watch or to uh, see any more televised poker? And from somebody who's mm. producing content, I kind of I like the eyeballs, you know? Yeah, I get it. Seems Not that it's like barbaric, very primal it, and barbaric to me. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't think you're wrong. For sure. Um, you did have a story with with an attempted voiceover, right? I believe you were trying to be a donkey on a cartoon. Uh, Scottish shark. Uh, yeah. No, I did not get that. <laughs> really? Because uh, yeah. I would imagine you have a fantastic Scottish accent. It is brilliant, but it has to happen organically, you know. Mm, I can't, can't put you on the spot for that one. 
No, no, no. Uh, Let me give it. <laughs> it'll it'll happen organically, you know. <laughs> can you can you uh, give us a little taste of uh, of some quick studies? Uh, yeah. <clears throat> Are you bored? I'm bored, and I don't even exist. Studying poker can be so tedious, but it doesn't have to be. For only nine ninety nine a month, you could speak to me. <laughs> nine ninety nine a minute. That, uh, that's a little behind the scenes reading there <laughs> by Chris Convalinka. I got to tell you, I, I greatly appreciate your ability to put yourself out there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fun. I, I, I don't know. Everybody takes themselves so serious. It's, I had a ton of fun doing the voiceover and working with production who are all incredible writers and it, it's fun. It's fun. My I, understanding I feel like is to overlay my own ideas and my own personality over the thing. Which is nice. Some of the yeah. some of the chat said that you lost twenty k on the casino floor. I literally lost a pouch with twenty k in it, somewhere between South Point and my house. This is like the story of, of of Chip Reese when he like threw the bag on top of his uh, uh, like it was like a hundred k or something on top of his car and just drove and didn't realize that it was there and then eventually <laughs> he was like oh shit. He, he, he got out the car and it was yeah. there. It was still there. I definitely raised my pain you know tolerance. Chip Reese is? I don't even Wait, know. Wait, was that it is. Chip Reese or was it Doyle? <clears throat> I think Doyle left something in the bathroom. I think Chip Reese was the one with the car. Okay. Anyway, do you know who Chip Reese is? No idea. That's so painful. He also doesn't know who Sam Grafton is. I just do my own thing, man. You know, I just wake up, Chip go play Reese? poker. I don't. I don't. I respect the generation before me, I just don't study it. Them. Chip fucking Reese, man? Hey, I mean... Uh, R.I.P. Uh, okay, so to that end, uh, as far as like study goes and things of that nature, uh, tell me a little bit about how you first came in contact with us. I was playing 2-5 at the win, and then recognized Chin from his hand versus hashtag king, of course. His, oh, his, yeah, uh, legendary. His claim to fame. Mm -hmm. The hashtag king hand. I don't know if it's claims of fame, but yeah, it was pretty famous, yeah. And I went over there and I was like, oh my god, that was such a sick hand. I'm your biggest fan. I want to do the Academy of, you know, uh, yeah. groveling mm -hmm. type. And then we exchanged numbers and started talking for a while, and then Shin offered to coach me one-on-one. -on -one, and I emphatically said yes. And I worked with him a lot and then started getting more involved and... Uh, the rest is history. Really, I just went up and uh, introduced myself, and here we are. The the funny part about that whole story is <clears throat> that for uh, somebody who refuses to give anything away, I mean, Christian is, like, diligent. Like, he doesn't want to give away a T-shirt when it comes to our shit. He hits me up, like, a couple weeks into coaching, and he's like, all right, man, I got this kid. I think he's pretty good. Uh, I'm going to give him an academy seat, and uh, we're, we're going to coach him up. And I'm just like... We're, we're giving away academy seats now, is what you say. I paid. Like, I what happened? It's, it, it's, part, it's part. He goes. It's part of the package. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, he came to all the academies. Like you were in the fucking elite academy. You came yeah, to all yeah. the academies. No, but. Yeah. But honestly, I don't know. I saw something in, in in Chris. I thought he was a good player. I thought he had potential, and I was like, okay, I can. I know how to beat the games he's playing. That's for sure, and. 
um, let's do it, you know? And now I'm, I'm really proud of him. He's like fucking playing super high stakes, right? He's like playing 10, Thanks, 20, man. 23. Like it's. Yeah. I, pre- yeah, I really appreciate you. I appreciate you taking me under your wing. You know, I, it, it, it does not go uh, by the wayside. I sometimes think about what would have happened. I'd probably be in a ditch. Nah, bro. You would have done it anyway. Like, I tell Berkey this all the time. I was three betting off suit broad in full. Every time, no matter what. Someone open, I just three bet. Queen Jack off suit, raise. 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 Honestly, the games you were playing with, how big the rake is, probably not that bad. (laughs) Probably not that bad. Yeah. Um, Talk talk a little bit about that process because, like, over the last 18 months, I've seen you go from. I will say you're you're very humble in this regard. I saw a lot of Instagram sessions of one three, uh, a lot of two five. I know you and I have sp- spoken a lot about risk of ruin, and by all accounts, I would say you're a lot more conservative at your age than I was. Not that that's a bad thing, just an observation. Um, but how how do you go from one three to ten twenty plus in an eighteen month span? Um, well, I put in a ton of work on my back end i think if you truly commit yourself to the game that poker will press and squeeze your character until it finds the absolute weakest links and it will either destroy you provided you fully commit yourself like if you're playing casually it's not necessarily true but like for example if you have any sort of issues with entitlement or confidence or motivation or identity, it will just identify it eventually and squeeze until you either you either work through that inefficiency in your own character, in your own reality, in your own experience, or you just completely fail. I think it's like a mini-verse type thing, like a life speedy life crash course where most people, like if you're not good at setting your own obligations, it'll just consume you. I think that the enormous majority of people spend this part of their life having obligations set for them by others. And uh, you you sort of lose that responsibility to yourself, or at least you don't develop it fully, the responsibility to to take care of yourself and to set your own obligations and to to schedule your time in a way where you're actually incrementally moving towards the person that you want to be and the reality that you want. And yeah, I think, Oh, sorry. I I didn't mean to cut you off. No, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, I think uh, a lot of what you're speaking to is one of the biggest struggles for young people entering uh, these independent realms, right? These entrepreneurial pathways, there is no higher authority to report to. There's nobody holding you accountable. There's no one doing your due diligence for you. And it's a big trap, right? It's a huge pitfall if you just kind of succumb to the fact that you have no one to answer to but God and yourself. And if you're not holding yourself accountable and you're not diligent to some sort of process, right? I don't even want to say goals because I think goal-oriented thinking is very problematic. Agreed. I think if you if you set your if you anchor yourself to tangibles, um, you know, something in the way of I want to make X amount of dollars or I want to uh, play X amount of years and then transition into uh, career Y. When, when you anchor to those tangibles, not only are you often disappointed by actually obtaining that goal, but more importantly, uh, you completely lose sight of 
the process that will get you there, right? So if you take a by any means necessary approach to obtaining these tangible goals, your values are often just going to be completely and utterly compromised. When you layer that on top of the fact that there's nothing holding you accountable to a set of values or to uh, doing your due diligence or being resilient mm-hmm. or anything along those lines, there are just so many fail points along the way. But if you have a process that you can really invest heavily in that has a purpose behind it, right? Now, maybe that purpose is to become financially independent so that you can do other things, whatever the case may be. It's not tangible though, right? There's no one singular moment where you go, I made it. Yeah, I can now say that I've made it and I don't know what to do next. That's, that's very rare for a process-oriented person. A big problem I have with the Chris? narrative, Go ahead. Uh, especially like on university campuses and with young people especially, is they're mm-hmm. averse to constraints. They see freedom and, and a life of, of responsibility and obligation as separate, which isn't at all the case. Like, what is freedom to you? Is it, is it living, living in the ideal way that you can possibly imagine? Well, you're not there yet. And the only plausible way within the finitude of your life to achieve that reasonably is through some sort of agenda, some sort of schedule, which, it, which obviously doesn't function without, without schedule and obligation and structure. Like after boarding school, I massively overcorrected where I was just like sleeping four hours, staying awake for 20, like sleeping whenever drinking whenever doing whatever uh and eventually it just caught up to me where i was like this isn't the life that i want this isn't freedom i'm a slave to my impulses like it's really important to to establish the difference between being a complete slave to pleasure and impulse and a pure hedonist that's not freedom like that's slavery but i don't think the narrative ever addresses that it's all rights, 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 rights. You're entitled to this. You're entitled to that. But you have a responsibility to take the necessary steps like to carry your share of the load and achieve the ideal life that you want. Chris, talk to me a little bit about, you know, most of our conversations were centered around, and I kept telling you this, like, I'm like, Chris, like, you're, you're, you're really good. Like, you're, you're going to win, right? And you were downswinging, like, super hard. Yeah. And I was like looking at the hands and I'm like, okay, you're pressing a little bit here, but you know, let the game come to you. Like, don't worry so much. And you're like, well, what if this run never ends? And I just, I'm a live pro that's washed up and I never get to win because <laughs> variance is, is a fucking bitch. And like, you never get to see the true extent of, of a sample size when you play live. And I'm like, you know, I kept telling you, you know, you can only control what you can control. And I think I've done enough to get you to a point where I think you're winning like significant, significant amount in your pool. But, you know, most of like the the struggle, I think, came from the fact that maybe it was a little bit of entitlement. Like you felt like you needed to win and you needed to win now. Um, I I don't necessarily know. Like if you're working on your own identity, your own psychology, and you just tell yourself, like, stop being anxious about this thing or this isn't reasonable, I'm going to turn it off. It's essentially just repressing it in a way that is perhaps logical, uh, like in its purest form, but it's irrational in the fact that if you repress something, it'll just come back with a vengeance. Like I felt doomed, absolutely doomed. I felt completely out of control of my own 
success and out of control of my own uh, reality and telling myself that I am in control and that like it's going to be fine doesn't solve the problem. Uh, like what I have to address is the actual fear of the, the actual fear of failure and the specific inefficiencies in my identity that are making this so incredibly harmful and anchoring my self-worth to the things that I do have control over, like over and over and over again through routine and, and self-care, you know. I mean, I wasn't convinced. If you're just getting the shit kicked out of you every day, you know, that's, that's more convincing than, than somebody that you respect telling you, you know, that it's going to be fine. It's like, well, I'm getting murdered. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was weird. It was a weird conversation, right? Because, like, when you and I were speaking a lot, I never felt the pain. Like, I've told you this straight up. Like, I never felt the pain you felt, right? It was like, I told you, like, when I was playing 2-5, I just ran hot. Like, ran super fucking hot every day. I showed up and just collected. And the hands that you were showing me were ones where... It was it was one of two ways, right? Like like I remember the hands that you were playing, and there were either you played really well and you still lost, or and then those catapulted you into spots where you're forcing it because you were so much better than the field that that caused you to lose, right? And it was like a, a kind of this like negative spiral of you got pulled off. You know you're better than everyone. I'm telling you you're better than everyone. So you're forcing the fact, like you're you're forcing it because you're so much better than everyone. Right. right? I mean, it's it, it it really is the difference between addressing psychological issues at the effect or at the cause. Like it it's pretty impossible to just address the effect. You know, it's essentially like turning the radio up so you don't hear the the engine noise. But that's a perfect example of poker just cornering me into the self-development, you know, because if I didn't, if I didn't figure that out, I would just be, I would have just failed. It's so crazy to me because like hearing this, this is precisely what happened to me when I went broke, uh, in 2012. Like I went through literally almost verbatim the exact same process where it was day in and day out, really trying to do a lot of root cause analysis on what was mm. allowing me to sabotage, what was allowing me to, uh, fail myself in a scenario where I, really did truly believe that um, I was elite or, or at least in the conversation thereof. Um, and you couldn't be any more spot on, right? Like so much of it is, is born out of almost like the, the paradox of choice where you just have so many options for feedback and they're so unreliable, right? Mm. Uh, that you kind of steer into that negative feedback loop because it at least feels consistent. But I think that it would be problematic if we didn't really highlight all of the, the self-work necessary to get to a point of comfort in letting go. And just doubling back to what we were talking about before, I, I think that really does come with investing in the process, right, rather than the results. Because that actually does give you some concrete feedback that you can trust. Uh, you know, you kind of mentioned controlling the controllables. That is a methodology of getting actual feedback loops in place that are reliable. Um, there's no variance in, you know, taking the reins on the aspects of your life that are well within your, your control. There's no variance in 
being a, a person who's rooted in value. There's no variance in being somebody who is disciplined in their nutrition and fitness. There's, there's no variance in uh, being more mindful in relationships. Uh, but the, the, the benefit is so asymmetric compared to the downside, right? Like, yeah, you sacrifice a little bit of these hedonistic qualities that you mentioned, but the return is just, you know, a hundredfold of what it would be if you just continually float through and let chance dictate what the outcome is going to be. Yeah. I think that there's profound meaning in responsibility like that. That is what I anchor myself to. And it's important to, to state how wildly inhuman it is, the field that we've chosen. Like our brains are so completely inequipped to understand probabilistic data. Like we're mm -hmm. living with hunter-gatherer brains trying to navigate a like infinite node game tree, an infinite node probabilistic game tree. It's nonsense. Right. Like, uh, we're, we're hypersensitive to threat because, I mean, our brains are wildly outdated for not, not just poker, but like the modern world as a whole where you're yeah, really life. Yeah. So sensitive to threat, threat that isn't even there just because if you were the one that saw a rustle in the trees, then you were the most likely to keep your tribe and your family alive. What rather than chance it, you know, whether it was the wind or not. Right. Uh, and there's, there's no place that really, really presses the inefficiencies of your brain up against the wall like poker. It really, it really does. Like I said, it's the best sandbox for life, right? Like it's a microcosm in a way. Yeah, yeah it, it just advances all of life's day-to-day -day variance into a few-hour session. And yeah, yeah you're 100% right. Like we're not wired for this. Um, shifting a little bit off of that because I, I think that though that point is very profound, I think the, the bigger thing that we struggle with, or at least I personally have struggled with, is uh, being somebody mindful who wants to make some sort of impact in this lifetime. How do you like, mm. how do you grapple with poker's inefficiencies when it comes to being a contributing member to society? I've had an enormous amount of trouble with this, uh, where I feel as though I'm not contributing or it feels... Or it feels predatory um, or hollow, but I do think that there is a legitimate way to live in the game that isn't actually zero-sum. Um, not only, and, and this, is, this is the weaker of my points, but you are providing a value that is intangible, where, like anything else, People may be losing EV, but it's, it is an exchange for utility, just not quantitative utility. Like they're having fun. They're enjoying themselves like learning. Uh, but I think like more importantly, the game has actually taught me how to be a productive member of society, regardless of whether I have been spending those hours sitting down producing or not. It's an essential stepping stone. Like, for example, uh, the, the philosophy of separating the quantitative from the qualitative governs my life now. Mm. And it, it is entirely due to poker, where I don't think that I would have realized. Like, if you take, take the logical knife 
and splice the quantitative from the qualitative. You get the meaning from the meaninglessness. Hedonism, quantitative, right? Like yep. pleasure, usually quantitative. What kind of car you drive, what, the, how high you are in like your, whether you have your boss's job or your job, you know, quantitative. Yeah, status, status money, power. Right. I mean, it, it, it's shaped everything about who I am and the life that I'm going to live. So even if I've spent these past couple years, which I don't, which I also don't think is true, but even if I've spent these last couple years not directly producing in a positive sum environment for society, it's not to no avail. Like it, it means that the next years are going to be way more productive. But also, uh, coaching. I've started doing a lot of coaching, and love it. Love teaching and reliving the learning moments uh, and trying to empathize with, I've also learned so much, but tr figuring out how to empathize with people that came up without theory. It's just more problem solving in a positive sum setting. Yeah, yeah I, I think that was incredibly well said. Uh, I think that to kind of double down on what you're saying, because this is such a fantastic testing ground for life, I think that it builds a certain level of resiliency to leaning into the quantitative. And I think that's really incredible. If you come out of this 30 years old, whether you're financially independent or not, but you have a lens by which you see life where you could think probabilistically, but uh, layer a high level of EQ on top of that, the sky's the limit. And your contributions are going to be maybe small within your inner circle, but they very well could scale and be grand on a big picture level if you're motivated to do things that are impactful to society. Um, another thing I kind of wanted to touch on on that point is I know you and I have had discussions where you do kind of feel like you're not accountable to anything and you ran the idea of working at McDonald's as just a means to test yourself. Well, you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, I, it's, and it's not that I don't feel accountable necessarily. Like, I, I feel profoundly accountable to myself mm -hmm. uh, and to the greater responsibility, like my responsibility to be a contributing member of society, my responsibility to uh, overcome my primal bias and irrationality. Like, there is nothing that feels more empowering like my responsibility to grow the hell up and do something with my life you know mm -hmm. again missing from the narrative but i feel a lot of accountability to that but i've always had a problem with authority like i am probably the bottom percentile in agreeableness i have to thoroughly understand and agree with what someone is telling me in order for me to agree like it's it's been a problem largely in my romantic relationships where uh, <clears throat> I would be analyzing instead of just nodding. Uh, oh, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. It's, yeah, it's... Coaching, coaching you was a breeze, let me tell you. <laughs> I personally yeah. like that. I like people that are challenging. Um, and I think for that reason, because, because I'm exactly the same way you are. Uh, I have a very difficult time taking something at face value and just agreeing to it. It's like if we're if, if you're going to say something profound, then let's let's pick it apart. Let's dig down, because 
otherwise, it's just like some banal platitude that you yes. read off of an Instagram quote that I'm just going to shrug and say, like, what the fuck are you talking about? But it, I, I wasn't able to uh, mitigate it. Couldn't turn it off. And there are often times where it's just not emotionally appropriate. But, but mm -hmm. th this wasn't my point. My point is just that I have a very turbulent relationship with authority, mostly from boarding school, I think, where I developed a lot of resentment and rancor and, and bitterness towards authority or anyone telling me what to do, especially the people I don't respect. Like, the people I respect, it's pretty easy for me to listen, but mm -hmm. uh, authority that I either don't understand or don't respect, it's close to impossible. Like, I'm very difficult. Uh, is, is it a matter of respect, though, or is it a matter of um, kind of uh, a, a looking up to, right? Because I imagine that you've dated people that you wholeheartedly respect, but still challenge. Yes. Whereas there may be others That's in your true. life that you view as like a mentor or, or somebody that you look up to in some regard. And it's a lot easier to just take them at face value because you feel like they've already done the work. Well, these are separate, separate issues. Like mm -hmm. on the one hand, you have me feeling like I'm underdeveloped in my ability to just like go with the flow. And then on the other hand, like I'm listening to these people that where where my lack in agreeableness becomes a conflict but that's all that they want like they don't want listen analysis they don't want listen synthesis it just has to end at listen like s exclusively compassion which i hadn't actually related to the whole mcdonald's thing before but that's interesting uh mostly it's to to kick the shit out of myself in a <clears throat> like, I don't think there is, this sounds arrogant, <clears throat> I don't think that there is a more humbling experience than sometimes I feel like I lose appreciation for the life that I've created and also the life that I've been born into. I mean, I, I, I acknowledge my privilege uh, where obviously I've had advantages. Yo, don't say that shit with like a smile on your face though, you heard? <laughs> <laughs> the smile, the smirk is because, yeah, I acknowledge my privilege, but I fucking maximize that shit. It's not like you, you also, you, yes, you have the right to whatever privilege you have, but it's also your responsibility to fucking max it. That's missing also from the narrative. It's like, yeah, I have privilege and I maxed it, man. Yeah. I, I think the, the other layer to add on top of that is leveraging it for good. Um, you know, I do true. think we all have some sort of responsibility to con be contributing members to society more so, more so like extending our tribe, right? It's not good enough to just be homogenous mm. and just say like, oh, I'm going to help my families and friends who are also probably very similar to me, born into similar situations, et cetera. Uh, and that was kind of my pushback with the McDonald's thing. I said, you know, if you really want to do this, uh, don't go the route of being subservient in a paid position, do it for the greater good instead, like find some charitable outpost that, you know, you can just kind of pour your blood, sweat and tears into. And I know that your pushback was a little bit of like, yeah, but that'll make me feel good. Like there's a certain level of altruism to it. And that's not what you're seeking. You're literally seeking like the militant type of, of beat down. Uh, um, I, I mean, I could, I could make the sort of arrogant argument that from a utilitarian perspective, 
me working mm-hmm. at McDonald's would be for the greater good. Uh, but that's hard and arrogant to make that yeah. that argument, regardless of its validity. Uh, <clears throat> but the the existence of choice and willingness participation is my issue with the thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to get spit on and treated like dirt, you know? Yo, that sounded crazy, bro. That's, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't fade it. Like, I tried to fade it, but that sounded crazy. Like, that sounded like some real crazy sexual shit, dude. I mean, I'm just saying. It's not sexual. It's just personal developmental. Like, I, I don't experience that pretty much ever because I have almost full autonomy to myself. Whereas my friends with real jobs are all like, God, I hate my boss. I mean, I want that perspective and I want that level of, of appreciation. I don't want that missing from my character. Oh, we're, I can we're find taking... the mamacita to do it for you. I mean, yeah, I'm just we're, saying, like, we're taking oh, my intern to itself for why, too. <laughs> uh, we, we got floors to mop. We got toilets to clean. You know, you can come hang out at the software office. Yeah, but I'd feel entitled. And... No, you should. We, we would treat you too good, for sure. Yeah. I don't think it would get the job done. <laughs> Uh, I, I have to tell you, man, I, I really, really enjoy these chats. Uh, it's mind boggling to me that you're 22 years old. Uh, I feel like my nephew is probably one of the only other young people that I can have these conversations with. It's truly a breath of fresh air. Mm. Um, and I I appreciate your candor. I appreciate your desire to come on here and just kind of like let it all hang out. I would love to do this again at some point. Yeah. I love you guys. I miss the studio. <laughs> well, good news is we have another uh, four courses worth of quick studies for you to be uh, lending your voice to. Oh, yes. I get to, I get to film that afterwards, record that afterwards. Yeah. Are you yeah, bored? That's all. I've, I haven't memorized the rest of it. but Whether yeah, it's boss. bear hunting, fishing, I don't know, something like that. It's good. Sure. It's good. Sure. I heard you're coming on the new uh, Poker Out Loud with a fresh... Uh no haircut or whatever like fresh like like me like you're just shaving it all yeah off. i shave my head tomorrow uh we do it in the basement surrounded by candles and and the hooded the <laughs> other hooded members of of the society right uh, but i'm not supposed to tell that on air so we should probably cut that out we'll edit that out yeah, we'll what out. uh uh one last thing to wrap on what what what's your i guess like what's your motivation moving forward you're, you're playing close to the high stakes that you're going to be able to regularly play in open games in Vegas right now. Um, I assume you're doing pretty well, all things considered. Is it just kind of doubling down on the poker side of things, studying a little bit harder, playing a little bit more often? Are you trying to uh, kind of move laterally into other areas? Are you more concerned with self-improvement? Like, where, where are we at moving forward? Well, I can tell you that I don't care about having money or being good at poker. Like, okay. th- those are just effects of my values mm-hmm. and that what what really drives me and and excites me every day is responsibility like i think that i have the responsibility to achieve the highest level of myself that exists whatever that is and poker has just been a manifestation of that i mean i still love the game everybody makes fun of me for being excited about spots well, you know, you've been in it for a whopping three years. Fine. So, well, my bad. Seasoned vet. I mean, usually, it doesn't matter. 
I'm not going to argue this. But listen, man, oh, don't lose that. Don't get jaded like some of these old timey regs, man. Like, you, I get excited about spots too. It's, it's, yeah. It is what it is, man. Sometimes you got you got to bring it home. Man. You got to bring home bacon. What are you gonna do, man? Don't let these old. You know he's a, he's a multi-millionaire, Berkey. You know that's the problem. He can't be bothered anymore with like three bedding king queen suit. He's like ah, oh, yeah. you know. Uh, I mean, I get excited at how fiercely competitive I've become, and I want to be uh, the best man that I can be. And part of that is being dangerous and capable of being ruthless. Like, these are all just manifestations of, of my values. Poker is the perfect mini-verse for me to explore these things. And I honestly have no clue what the rest of, of my plan is. But I think that anyone that says that they do is lying or yeah. delusional. I, I think that, to put a button on it, that... Anybody who says that they know is somebody who is solely fixated on goal-oriented thinking. Yep. And the, in my opinion, that's just, uh, by my quantitative analysis, that's destined to fail. Now, yeah. that's but, not to say they won't be successful at attaining that goal. But they won't, but, the, after they achieve it, they'll realize it's fucking empty. Like, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm saying. It's a, it's a life not worth living. They're, they're trapped, absolutely. They're trapped within, like, the, this idea that you graduate to a problem-free life, right? Mm -hmm. Like, if you look at the rates of alcoholism after you retire, astounding. Mm -hmm. Because people are, people are just under this guise that eventually, you know, I just want to be happy. That's fucking stupid. <laughs> that's stupid. You want to just be happy? Go do heroin all day yeah. you'll be happy what do you mean by happy like pleasurable if by happy you mean loving to solve problems and living a vital deliberate honorable challenging compassionate life great but almost nobody means that almost everyone who goes i just want to be happy taylor swift gets up the fucking grammy she's like you could achieve your dreams always trust your emotions Avoid discomfort at all costs. Fuck that. What the hell's the yeah. point? You know, you want to live in a in a sheltered, smelly, protected, fucking spend your your finitude in the cove. Be my guest, but it's a waste. Steer into the storm. Every step on the warrior's path layers another scar. Would you have it any other way? Man. That that was a fucking motivational video if I've ever seen one. Uh, I, I'm try, I'm I'm laughing a little bit because obviously some of these things come off a bit trite and cliche, but your your overarching point is obviously entirely correct. Well, it's backed uh, by complete authenticity. Yeah, I agree, and <clears throat> I, I don't mean to to make light of it because obviously I wholeheartedly agree. It's just one of those things, you know. It's like sometimes we just have to acknowledge the the comedy of this thing we call life. Yeah, I mean, people don't come out and they're like, no, discomfort's a good thing. Life is fucking hard. It's like, yeah, life is hard. It's the human condition. You're guaranteed a lot of suffering. Everyone's guaranteed a good dose of suffering. You know, yeah. Your response is what makes you. Great way to end. I really appreciate you, can man. You say, can you say, like, stay hard before you, uh, before you leave? I mean, what does that even mean, man? That's what I always said. It's a Goggins no. thing. Uh, oh, I I just bought his book. It's really great. Yeah. Uh, don't don't read it. Listen to it because he adds like a podcast in between chapters. Oh shit. 
Well, it's I'd... fantastic. All right. Yeah, I'll buy the. Um, yeah, I, I think that you know, again, I don't aspire to be Goggins, but I think he's one of the most mentally tough people out there, yeah. and I think that it's admirable to uh, to create that example for others. Thank you so much for having me on, guys. No, this was great. I really, I really enjoyed the conversation. I, I, I did a lot more listening because I thought a lot of the things you were saying was really important, and I think a lot of people could take a lot away from what you said. So, I mean, it was a pleasure listening to you. Thanks, Jim. Yeah, thanks, man. Always, uh, always a pleasure having you. We'll chat soon. All right. I'm glad you took his seat and not mine, though. Well, the camera was pointing. No, it's respect. I, I, I feel it. I feel it. <laughs> I just beat up the biggest guy in the prison. You know, that's my strategy. Smart. Smart. No, Identify... you just stayed away from the biggest guy in the prison. That's what you really said. <laughs> All right, brother. Peace. All right. See you guys. See you, man. Yeah, man, that was great. I'm, uh, I was really impressed with, like, all the things he said. He's come definitely a long way in the last year, you know. Um, yeah, it was great. I forgot how much I enjoy talking to him about things bigger than three-bet pots and uh, shit regs. He uh, he is a very profound 22-year-old. I, I think the amount of work and thoughtfulness that he possesses is really worth noting. You know, everybody's smart as fuck when they're on that upswing. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, everybody got all the all the all the. All Bro, the he dropped twenty thousand in the casino. He just lost what, it. What happened? He dropped twenty k in the casino. He just lost it. Yeah, that's how rich. You know, it's like it's nothing. You know, that's next nothing. level rich. Oh, we lost twenty k. It's okay, you know, 10, 20, 40 runs tomorrow. You know, I got right. I got Papa Joe coming in from Texas. It's all good. You know, it, everybody has all the fucking know. You know, everybody knows everything. That upswing is nice, man. Yeah, I'm going to write a book next time I upswing. That's <laughs> <laughs> just going to be fire, bro. Oh, man. That's true. God, so speaking man. of upswings, if you guys would like to experience a little positive variance in your life as well, I highly suggest you check out Landon Tice's Mastermind this Saturday. All you have to do is be a Salt4Y TV member. If you haven't already, uh, be sure to sign up. We also offer a free site where you can hear more from Chris, who is the voice of the Quick Studies course. Uh, right now, there are two courses on the website. There will be four more coming out over the upcoming months. So it'll be a full curriculum when it's all said and done. It's just our little gift to you all for uh, being supporting members of our site. Thank you guys all so much for tuning in. As always, for myself, my co-host Christian Soto, who's off in the Mexican sphere. Oh, man. This is crazy. I don't know where he's at. Tune in next time. This is episode number 36. We're out of here.